Welcome to the Warning Track Power Hour. I'm Andrew Scaff. He's Mike Worman. Today we'll get to the Women's World Cup. Uh, more shake-up in the um, in- world of the NCAA, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the uh, f- football conferences and basketball too, I guess. Uh, and um, some NFL offseason news. Uh, but we'll start today as we tend to this time of year uh, with the Kansas City Royals and their uh, up and down, mostly down season, but recently up. Uh, their season continues. Uh, the Royals just capped their seven game win streak with a quick three game losing streak. Uh, but they won tonight. So, Mike, are you still uh, riding the high of the seven game win streak, or did the three game win- losing streak that followed immediately plunge you back into uh, the disaster of the season has been so far? Well, it almost did. I think if they had lost four, it would have, but we had talked about the last couple of days some of those losses two at least two of those losses were pretty iffy i think the one where um the the last loss to boston the 6-2 walk-off grand slam loss where there really had been um a blown call by the first base umpire on an, on an appeal uh, there was a strikeout and uh, the guy clearly, pretty clearly went around. I guess it was not like, you know, it wasn't a full swing, but it was like right. more than what is usually needed to call, a, you know, to say it's a failed check swing and would be a, a completed swing. So like, and it seems like everybody, even the guys on the Red Sox knew that or thought that this was out, out number three uh, going into extra innings. Who knows? Even the Royals could have lost an extra innings, but sure. uh, it at least would have been more, I guess, you know, deserved if it had been the lost lost then. And and Quatrero looks like he got thrown out of two of those three games because of those uh, iffy calls. And I mean, iffy is being generous on the on the on, on Blat- the, blatantly bad umpiring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially since we have so much data now, and like it seems like things should be able to be overturned that are clearly erroneous but aren't like what so what maybe what would you rather see in baseball fully like robo called games balls and strikes uh, or at least the ability to to uh, challenge individual pitches or what what would be your preferred way to make the game you know actually follow like the rules that they have established i i would say that um there should be a central authority that could overrule clear errors. And like, so there would be, and it wouldn't necessarily have to be a team that challenges. Like there should just be somebody in New York watching the games and you can see, well, this is really, this pitch was really outside the strike zone and it was called a, a strike or this one was, right down the middle and call the ball and you know it should have um not and then they could they should be able to correct it and it should that really... have to happen like instantly though so you may as well but i think it could ball. if you just you just have to have somebody watching the game and they could say well look at the box that's the strike zone and this is way out it's like no it's a strike yeah uh, so i think the, i think the current like proposal for using the robo called games anyway robo umps is just to have an earpiece in the in the uh 
home plate umpire's ear that just tells it tells them directly if it's in or outside the zone. And, I, so they yeah. and maybe they could maybe they could overrule it, I guess, if it's close and they thought it was I would say, yeah, I would say let the umpire do it unless it's a clear error and then overrule. So you could kind of at least in some ways see what the human is doing and kind of be able to show how much better it would be with um correct. Because I think it's sort of like what um courts do, you know, like they will let you know, they usually really only like they will see an appeal if there's what they call a clear error that affected uh, the outcome. And so like well, that's not instantaneous, though. Well, that's a lot of reviewing in a long time. But like it's a, it's a standard, I think. It's all you have to do. There's the evidence is there. There's no like testimony that you have to hear or or constitutional issues you have to deal with. It's basically just is this a strike? Is this not a strike? Is yeah. this a swing? Is this not a swing? Is this... But the umpire had a device that tells them if it is a strike or isn't a strike instantly. Well, They'd at least have that to go off of rather than just their own eyes, which apparently aren't very good because they. Well, I would I would rather have it be correct be corrected, and have and have the evidence of a bad call. See, because... that's what they should be doing behind the scenes, like inning by inning, almost right right now. Mm -hmm. And then if they don't get better at it, then just replace them. Their yeah. ability to make the calls if they can't improve. Well, I like having the public see what's happening, maybe, and have the players. And yeah, we do see it though. Mm. We but we you know, see the box on our screen. Yeah, we know exactly before the umpire does if it's a ball or a strike, but the umpire doesn't see that box. So that's where maybe there needs to be a public shaming of umpires that yeah, that don't get it right. Like they have to be, they have to like do something embarrassing between innings, <laughs> you know, to, or, I, or they have to like, um, you know, eat, take a shot of hot sauce or something like that. If they, for <laughs> every call they missed in the previous inning, what about that? Would that, would you I, think that I, would improve? I don't, I don't want to have like, like a, you know, double dare type of challenge that people have to go through even if a slopstical course might be uh, uh entertaining but or just you know or or a fear factor type of uh, uh <laughs> man versus food hot sauce challenge i think it should just be let them let like it's just sort of let people make the call and if it's right let it stand but if you see that it's wrong quickly step in and say no you were wrong yeah because I think that would show, because like, I think that would show people that this is we're watching and we see, and we want the right thing to happen, and yeah. but we trust usually the umpires to make their own judgment, and if only only if it's obviously erroneous that we can just see like oh that was a swing like that check swing was alleged check swing I guess was actually yeah. a swing. Well, the, and, the batter put his head down and was like halfway to the dugout by the time. Yeah, he was told that it was called not a swing, and then had to go back. You know, had to like go to first. He looked surprised, as anybody else did, because he knew yeah. it was a swing. That's usually they just look at that. They go by, you know, if the first base umpire had just seen the body language of the hitter, he didn't even have to make a decision. He's like, "Well, he already told me what he did, right?" Yeah, because it's about it. It's supposed to be about intent now, anyway, which is stupid. But the old rule was. If the bat crosses the plate, it's a strike. And so the umpire only has to look to see if the bat crosses the plate, right? Mm -hmm. 
and then that was you know that was what was changed to now it's like about intent did he mean to swing right yeah so now the empires are having to to judge the intent Intent, i think is that's a little that's harder to do um and I, i don't think you can tell intent based off of any evidence because it's in the mind of the person right and you and then you have to say well you know how far did you swing is all you can really do whether you meant it's like all of the people mean to hold off when they check it it's not like there's anybody that's just saying well i missed it so i'm going to pretend to hold i don't know there's that much time to think about it well so the you know the extreme argument on either side is well if he intended to swing he would have gone all the way around or or the or the opposite, you know, extreme of that case is like, well, if he brought a bat with him, he was planning on using it probably. So right. Yeah, yeah. I think the intent to swing is like well, that, that's why the that rule is very dumb because before yeah. it was just like, you know, there is a defined space. If the bat crosses through this plane, then it's yeah, then it is a strike. But now it's about intent, and so it's like there are these bizarro ways that it could be interpreted. I guess sometimes it became you might much less clear. There are maybe outlying cases where a person could kind of go around and obviously not mean to like just kind of casually kind of after the ball's in there kind of moving the bat around i think it's more about like if you're if you're about to get hit by a pitch and you're pulling back yeah the bat head like flicks forward yeah right and then I think that's different though yeah it's i think that's not i think yeah like the I intent wasn't necessarily to swing it was a, it was like a self-preservation in the back then, yeah forward. but then pretty much every check swing is an intent to swing then because they then they should all be called strikes right if that's yeah. if if everyone is on the same page that would be you know how they interpreted the rule and all of the umpires should agree as to how they should be like looking to call these things but it doesn't seem like that. This does just seem like a guy decided he wanted to go home and thought his fat the fastest way for him to go home was to say that was a check swing to load the bases and give Boston, you know, a chance to win the game on the next batter rather than yeah. having to go play extras and maybe this goes on for, you know, a couple more innings or something. That's what it looked like. Is it cause that game, you know, shouldn't have ended that way. I think it was that he didn't see it, he wasn't paying attention, and they were at home in Boston and he thought, well, if we call it a third strike, I'm going to get booed. So I'm not going to call it. And that shouldn't matter. Well, I think that's, I think that's what does. I think that's what does matter for umpires. They don't want to get yelled at by home fans. And so they want to, like, if it's a close call, unless they know it's one way or the other, they, like, I guess I'll, some umpires might enjoy, like Joe West enjoyed getting yelled at by people. There's some of those kind of masochist or kind of um, heel types uh, that enjoy the, yes. uh, that but I think this umpire was a guy who wanted he did not want to be the cause of the end of a game that he, or the end of an inning that he wasn't really paying attention to, especially if it would have upset home fans. That's my uh, that's my guess. I don't know. That's my that's my guess of what the umpire's intent was when he made the blunder. It was a well known official though. Who was behind the plate today for today's game? Vic Carapaza was the umpire at yeah. first, and then was behind the plate today for the Royals' win. Tonight. Did you know that we are older than Vic Carapaza? Uh, I did not know that, but seeing him he's, yesterday, that I wouldn't he's be surprised. He's forty-four. He's forty-four. He's from 
uh, Long Island, New York. Hmm. So maybe he would have thought that you know calling it against the Red Sox would have uh, been seen as New York bias, or perhaps he was pro East Coast uh, working class because he's got that Italian last name. He's um, you know supporting the AL East uh, there. Um, yeah, he was. It does seem like a Blue Jays fan win more often, get more breaks, and yeah. teams that lose, you know, yeah. Don't. Apparently, there were some controversial calls that Carapaza made in the uh, American League uh, division series in 2015 between the Royals and the Blue Jays that apparently went the Royals' way, and the Blue Jays were uh-huh. very upset about it the next year. So maybe this is going back. Well, he's maybe he thinks, well, I've given some calls or have been upset. People have yelled at me before for uh, siding with the Royals, so now I'm going to go against them, even though that was yeah. uh, seven years ago now, or eight years ago now. Um, there's only, like, one member of the team that's still present from it. <laughs> yeah, right. so, yeah. I'm I'm trying to find out what those calls were. Uh, oh, this is, this was a 19 inning game that uh, the Blue Jays lost against the then Cleveland Indians, now hmm. Cleveland Guardians, and apparently, well, so it wasn't the Royals. No, but it was apparently blood that bad blood boiling over from that game. I'm seeing at least on Wikipedia says that I can't see it in the article that they linked hmm. to. I guess Incarnacion had some issues. Hmm. Uh, uh, there were uh, Blue Jays fans booed Carapaz in response to calls, so maybe. Um, Oh, let's say Jays fans call foul on game two umpire. So the the Blue Jays lost to go down two nothing. Um, but commentaries, players, allies voiced some bewilderment and frustration. Home plate umpire Vic Carapaz's uh, inconsistent strike zone. They say. Mm. Uh, I don't remember that game that well. Um, yeah. Game two was that was that Equato. Possibly, it could have been. If it was, if it was, um, Quato got shelled in Toronto. Okay, so it wasn't then, probably. Uh, yeah, Quato got rocked in in. Uh, it wouldn't have been ALDS. It would have been ALCS. Right. It says ALDS on the thing, but let's. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter really. Doesn't matter. But I don't know. I, I think it was a bad call, and I don't. Maybe we can go into the intent why it was. But the Royals ended up, you know, I guess salvaging, uh, you know, a, a win today, and they won pretty. They won handily. They they've been scoring a lot. They've been scoring some runs. Their pitching has mm-hmm. been good. Uh, Cole Reagans has seemed to be a revelation um, since they brought him back, and since they traded for him. So. Mm-hmm. I, and Bobby Witt is still doing very well. He didn't mm-hmm. have a great game today, but he got another hit. So he's his his batting average is 
269 or 270 something like that like 268 uh, yeah uh, mike michael garcia i believe has a 12 game hitting streak right now as the leadoff spot yeah he's been, and he's been part of the you know a, you know a big part of their uh current stretch at least you know they won what eight of their last 11 now yeah and, the, and, the, and the bottom part of the lineup scored i had a lot of hits today Bolivar's had two hits Beatty had two hits waters had three isbel had one but still you know everybody in the lineup had at least one hit tonight so everybody was contributing if you look at the royals according to the simple rating system on baseball reference the number of runs per game they're better or worse than the average team uh the royals are now only the third worst team in major league baseball Mm -hmm. Uh, the A's are still worst. They have a 32 and 81 uh, record, minus 2.2 runs per game worse than average, according to baseball references system. Colorado, the worst team in the NL, is minus 1.6. They have a 40 or 44 and 68 compared to the Royals' 36 and 78 record, but the Royals are only minus 1.4 runs worse than yes. the average team. So that makes I don't know. So I don't know how the, exactly that's calculated. But um, maybe the their Royals... Run, their run differential is worse than the Royals. Uh, it's probably... Yeah, maybe it's, it's run different, it's just purely run differential is how it's calculated. Um, so, yeah. Um, it seems... yeah. Well, maybe, who does it have as the uh, fourth worst team? Oh, uh, the fourth worst team is the Detroit Tigers. It's by, it's by run differential. <laughs> is minus one and then there's a few that are tied as the fifth worst with minus 0.7 the white Sox, the pirates and the nationals so i guess it is run differential um because baltimore who has the best record now in the american league is only listed as the third best um team by run simple rating system is texas and tampa higher texas and tampa are higher yeah yeah dodgers are they higher dodgers are higher Oh, third, I was thinking third best in the AL. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Braves and, Braves and Texas are, are, yeah, Braves and Rangers are tied at the high, highest, then, Ra- then Rays, then Dodgers, then Baltimore. Yeah. It looks like it's mostly following run differential trend then. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So the Royals are, have they been eliminated from, I know they haven't been eliminated. I think before. not, not quite yet, but, uh, they aren't listed on, on the day is um, coming soon. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they have not uh, put up uh, the elimination stat in the uh, in the standings yet <laughs> on ESPN. So they, what is the Royals' magic number is it? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, most of them. I think. I think they need to win almost all of their games to have a shot. So they lost 78. So if they win out, they would simply be 86 and 78. And that is borderline playoff, probably. And because of the central. And they probably would have uh, played a lot of the other central teams. Oh, I guess they'd probably win the central. They won everything out. But yeah. So right now the twins are leading the division five games over 500. So that's like, that seems like it's the highest over 500 the central has been all season. So the because um, the Twins have, uh, I guess because the Royals beat Boston today, 
the Twins have actually moved ahead of Boston. Uh, so it's no longer, if you read the uh, standings from the AL East down to the um, AL Central, they're no longer directly in order anymore. And, and isn't... Um... Worst AL East team is now not the best AL Central team. Yeah, and, the, and they're ahead of the Yankees, too, I think. Uh, oh, they are a half game up on the Yankees. Yeah, that's right. The um, AL Centrals would have been fourth in the AL East. <laughs> and I think that's even with the Twins losing today. So they had, they've lost today. So they've actually gone down a game. So they were um, above both Yankees and Red Sox before that even. So this is, you know, rarefied air for the AL Central. Maybe less rarefied air. In the U.S. national team, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, well, 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 rarefied in the case of rare in a bad way, like there's a lack of oxygen, uh, and maybe they um, were unable to perform at a good level because of, of such a thing. I don't, I don't know. It's sort of tortured logic here, but it was, it, it was not a good performance for the U.S. women in this year's World Cup by, I would say this wouldn't be seen as a great performance for the men in a World Cup. It, it was seen as kind of average for the men. I think the men are expected to make this make the second round, but you want them to win a game. Like this is this is exactly how well the men did against, and they lost to the Netherlands um, in the round of 16, but I think everybody thought that the Netherlands were a better team than the United States mm-hmm. going in. So, like, had the U.S. won, it would have been an upset. Here, the U.S. was favored and lost, so in some ways you could say, well, the USA did better uh, for the Men's World Cup than uh, for the Women's World Cup. Well, I mean, they, they qualified to be in the tournament to begin with, where the U.S. men didn't last time, right? Yeah, so it was the complete opposite, where it's like, the women won and the U.S. didn't even qualify. Right. And now, like things have switched so much where they're this. They did the same level, and um, it seemed like I don't know. It was, it was just they couldn't score. Like we had, we had mentioned that last week. They just if you can't score goals, you know, they maybe it was sort of a hard luck penalty shootout loss. But yeah. and they look better, I guess. In the supposedly they looked better this past game than the previous ones. I don't, I guess, I, it's hard to say because they didn't score any goals. Uh, uh, Sweden was a much, you know, tougher opponent, at least on paper, um, than who they'd faced in the their own group, at least anyway. Sweden, well, the Netherlands is... Three-team nationally, internationally, right? Yeah, yeah. The Netherlands so, is pretty good. They they made it to the quarterfinals as well. So, like, yeah. um, you could say that, you know, those two teams are at least on par with one another. Even FIFA World Rankings are always a little bit you know, you never know. Yeah. But, but yeah, the USA, this was one of their best opponents and historically one of the best women's teams. I think they have won a couple of, um, Sweden has won some women's World Cups um, uh, in the past. And they had beaten um, the United States, I believe, in some of the tournaments. Uh, no, it was Norway. Sorry, it was Norway that won before. I was thinking it was Sweden. Hmm. Um, do you, I mean, do you see this as being because of how the loss happened, right? It was in penalty kicks. Does that, does that make it less devastating or is it 
does it mean anything at all? Do you care? Does it? I yeah. think it means it something really, because it's really tough anyway because it was like you know in the middle of the night for the because the just yeah the difference is such that Americans weren't watching probably most most I'm sure were not watching so they yeah. most people woke up to the news that they had lost in PKs is that well, yeah well one of the biggest misses was by Megan Rapino who's the for better or for worse the most famous of the American players and she is really on the downslope of her career probably had her name not been Megan Rapino, uh would not have made the roster and somebody else would have made it. It seemed like that was the case for a lot of the older stars. They were holding on and they were not as good as some of the younger players. And, um, but I think really probably the biggest reason was Rose Lavelle was hurt or not hurt. She was a, uh, she was kind of injured going into the world cup, but she was on the yellow cart, yellow cart suspension. And she's mm-hmm. usually, I think she's usually their best player. And then, they had to change the lineup around with her absence and they just couldn't score. Um, and they don't have a good front line that can create its own goals usually, I think, or pass well enough to get the other forward involved. It's like Alex Morgan, all she does is kind of run at the goal and shoot. And there's very little, I don't know, uh, back and forth creativity there and I think the other forwards were kind of like that. Um, and if you have just somebody who can just kind of pick them the ball and then they run ahead and, and can shoot and score, but if they're off like like they were in the World Cup, they couldn't score. Like there's no real backup plan, and yeah. there wasn't a, somebody from midfield that could pick up the slack. Like Carly Lloyd could score from midfield all the time, and that's how the that's how the or Megan young Megan Rapino could score from midfield uh, a lot or. Rose Lavelle could score from midfield a lot like last time. So like they yeah. didn't have somebody from midfield who could score a bunch of goals if the f- forwards who were have been lackluster the last couple of World Cups, at least since Abby Wambach uh retired. Um they can't, I don't know. So I that's what that's my two cents anyway. I they don't they didn't score enough goals. And if you don't score any goals, you deserve whatever happens. And they didn't well then you uh, get into that like kind of technicality of of uh you know just what happens in a PK situation determines the winner of the game and you know if players had put the ball on frame even they could have advanced right just one yeah one of two kicks could have gone in that were blown over the crossbar right that mm-hmm. uh, and one hit the post so like yes all three that was the in the the additional kick right after the yeah. uh, the the uh, the the first five I guess for each mm-hmm. side yeah, then that, that next one went off the post, I think, right? Was that what it was? Yeah, was all of the U.S. Yeah. misses were not none, – none of the U.S. misses were saved by the yeah. goal opposing. Where I think at least a couple of the Sweden misses were saved by yeah. the keeper. So it was basically just lack of composure, lack of focus, lack of precision. I don't know what you would say, but, like, yeah, just get it. You know, you have to be okay. able to You got to put it on frame. You have to score. put it on frame. <laughs> yeah. As a non-soccer fan, that is what drives yeah. me crazy about it anyway. It's like, it's the net, the goals are huge. Like, how could you not put it on? Well, it's one of those things where getting it high and in one of the corners is an automatic goal. But if you don't, if you miss that, you can get it either A, too high or B, too wide. And that's what happened to all three of them. Uh, those are guaranteed not goals. Yeah, so it's like it's it's like you know, like you'll see a lot of kick, a lot of really good penalty takers 
just kick it low and on the ground. Yeah. One of the sides. And usually that's going to go in. If it isn't, it's saved and it has to be a really good save. And you're not going to, you're not going to miss it on your own. You're going to have to at least force the opponent uh, to miss. So, you know, keep it low, go wide, but try not to go too wide and hope for the best. And that's unless you're like, you know, really crafty and just wait for the goalie to move and just kick it down the middle. Uh, Right. But. Yeah. So are you, do you find that less disappointing of a loss because it was in like the technicality side of the, uh, the PKs or is it, it does not matter. It's still a loss is a loss. They're out. And I think it's more disappointing because they didn't score any goals. Like if they had, if it had been like a three, three shootout and then they want a three, three, like, you know, scoring, like, you know, there was good play, good goals. And then they happened to lose kind of in a heartbreaking shootout. That would have been a disappointing loss. But you would have at least felt better about it for the team. Here they didn't score any goals. Like, you yeah. know, deserve to go on. You know, if they go on, well, England had the same thing. They got kind of lucky and they went up. Like, it was, it's one of those things. Like, you have to score, and if you don't, whatever. Yeah, like it's it's yeah. you, you, it. Your whatever happens is deserved, I think. And and then especially the way the U.S. played in the penalty kicks. The way they kicked, you know, again, they blew it more than the other team won it. So, so what? So what is more devastating then? Early exit from the Women's World Cup or the Pac-12 dissolving in front of our eyes? I think it's got to be the Pac-12 um, because I think the USA was well. They won two in a row, and yeah, they actually had a tough run at the World Cup for a while. They'd been winning the Olympics, but had been losing in the World Cup. It seemed like kind of crushingly uh for a few iterations at least since the famous um uh you know uh china uh defeat in like 99 or whatever it was when yeah brady chastain and mia ham and julie Foudy and all those people were uh on the team so you know world cup it's it's a single elimination tournament you're not going to yeah. It's just it's it's just the it's luck of the it's just kind of luck because you're if you don't score goals especially like you know yeah. whatever but uh, but as a national team they're going to retool and they will be back with younger players likely next time and right they'll be competitive yeah. again right that's yeah, like, I think it'll be better. You're not worried about them like completely dissolving like the Pac-12 has like no no I think it'll be better because I think in in a lot of ways the the women's team has become more weighed down by political issues and has become sort of a, a lightning rod of criticism some deserved but mostly undeserved i think in terms of like it's become a sort of it's been seen as kind of a woke anti-trump kind of group uh more maybe than it has been seen as a as a soccer playing uh team and i think maybe just losing some of that will lead to maybe better play just because you're not we're not holding on to these old veterans that aren't as good of players anymore but are the big names uh so i don't i don't i don't i think what they what they were doing was was totally right though like i think know, so too but i think demanding I think... more more pay for i mean they're being like they're being shown their likenesses are being used for like all of the advertising for everything for like months and then but they're still like you know getting paid much less than what they're. I think politically, or, I think what they did was should be getting paid. A lot. I think well, I, I think, that, know I think that's is, true. Even a question. I think that's true, but I think I think it was a distraction 
from a lot of the actual gameplay. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, I, I don't know. I hope that the cause remains there. They they continue to fight for better pay for, like the women's sports in general, especially yeah. if they're being televised as much or as you know the expectation is as high as or higher than the men's teams. So I mean, maybe maybe the active players don't have to be so vocal about it. If like the the players that were very vocal about it continue to do so, you know, as after they're no longer on the roster anymore, though maybe they perhaps. can still fight I, for I it, think... but maybe. Maybe it was just less well received by certain people if because they're active players, but also the people that were that aren't receptive to that concept are mostly jerks anyway, and we don't really care what their opinions are, do we? Well, in some ways, I guess you do if you're simply a <laughs> an amoral corporation that wants money. You want all of those people to watch your games, buy your stuff, and you think, well, if there is a this is one of the reasons like why Michael Jordan was so like a political was the fact, you know, he famously said Republicans buy sneakers too. Uh, and so yeah. like that was one reason why he was so popular. Um, and, you know, I, so like, in a, in, in, if it's really about making money and success, having less outside s- stuff bother you, or influence you or be part of it is i think better but like you could say well maybe society is better off because women are uh being paid more and things like that but if you want if your goal is to have a winning soccer team maybe that stuff is not helpful that's uh and and so maybe that's what and maybe that's what again you could say well maybe that's that stuff has been achieved now more and if it like you said if it doesn't roll back or or if the former players are still uh active in promoting uh equality they could let the players on the team shoulder less of that burden and maybe focus more on soccer and maybe be viewed even you know more well, i mean those teams that were the most vocal about it actually did win they i mean they backed it up on the field too though and that wasn't really you know an issue was it I don't know. I, I think this was. I think, I think they won like everything when they. Yeah, they did. But I think, I think they were more, making the most noise, which is. I think. I, I think most of the noise has been maybe between the last win and this win. Ah. And and they didn't win this time, and they won before. So I think it's been since the last World Cup. I would say probably. I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. But like, it's that's been when like you know it you know it's been since. You know, George, you know George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and and that kind of um, and that's in and that sort of co- the cause kind of thing has become more mainstream and more in focus. I think they've been seen more as a political unit maybe than a team, and they and I guess it could be just coincidental too because the players were getting older and the world was catching up. But I think that that would maybe be seen as a a connection. I don't I don't I don't really think it affected them, but I think. That some of the like the big names stayed on as players too long, and yeah. part of that is because they became big names because of their um, social like activism. I mean, More. mostly their play. I mean, Rapino like dominated. Well, she was good for a long time, but she different world cups, right? Well, she hasn't been. She was, yeah, she hasn't been. Last, you know, four years ago, she was kind of on the downslope already, and. Now she certainly is. Uh, yeah, I don't think. Um, I mean, if the if the team USA was concerned about her play, they 
didn't have to put her on the roster. Well, I know. I, I guess you could say coaching. So that's not problem. her fault then, right? That's, well, that's a, you know, coaching and the uh, organization maybe failed. Yeah, you could say what, you know, do they want her on the team because she's such a known commodity, you know, such a important personality. And so it's, it's, I think, I think, I think this is something that men's world cup teams deal with a lot already, especially yeah. from really strong established countries. Like, do we let the old stars hang on too long or mm. do we let the new people come in? And like, this is what, you know, Italy has dealt with or like what, you know, Argentina, you know, these countries that like, you know, should Messi be gone at this point or should Germany uh, and France, I think both did a lot, yeah. you know, a lot with that with, uh, yeah, the aging men's athletes, at least anyway. Right? Yeah, I think, I think especially Germany in the last, in maybe the most recent World Cup, but they didn't make it out of the group, I don't think. And I think in the most recent World Cup, the men's side, I think didn't, didn't France like leave most of their aging stars off the roster? Until they got look really young in the most recent World Cup for them, uh, France. Um, they made it to the final, but I think France. Well, I thought they, I thought they had gotten a lot younger. It's possibly Mbappe was still their best player. Both, but he's not old though. So no, he was young. He was young for yeah. years. Young this time. Um, yeah, I think there was some controversy about Portugal with with. Uh, because I think Portugal had its best games in the in the um, group stage without uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. That like when he was around sixteen, they won like six to six nothing and six one or something like that. And some like Ronaldo's backup basically right had like, had like a hat trick. And then the next game they put Ronaldo in and like they didn't win or they yeah, they lost to Morocco in the quarterfinals. Yeah, um, and Spain Spain had that issue too. I think I think it's. It's one of those, I think, so it's, this is, in some ways, this is a good problem to have because it really shows that the United States is a power. Uh, yeah. And so, like, this is a bad result, but really every team, ha- every good country, even Brazil, even, uh, you know, in men's or, or, you know, Germany or things like that don't, don't always um, advance. So it's... yeah. Spain. But again, they will retool. The U.S. women's team will retool, and I'm sure they will be competitive next time. Yeah, I think they should go younger. I think, I think, I think they they went too old this tournament, yeah. and and I don't know if it's just because they had the names or they thought experience was better. But like, I don't know. I've always I've never really been an Alex Morgan fan. I don't think she's that good, but she was like, but she was you know scored some goals. But like, it seems like and she scores a lot of goals in like meaningless uh, games against. I mean, most of what, even what what you're saying, though, it seems like more of the problem is with the strategy and how players are being used rather than the players themselves. I mean, they the players themselves are who they are and, you know, how they're used may have, maybe they, maybe the coaching, uh, you know, staff may have gotten more out of the team that they, you know, changed up the lineup to maybe utilize players, the aging players a little better, like late or early, depending on how they wanted to work it, but it didn't work out. Whatever they did didn't work out, right? Yeah, yeah. Vlatko Andonovsky uh, was their um, coach the last few years, and it seems like he didn't do very well in the Olympics 
uh, and then his team hasn't been very good since. And um, I don't know. I mean, ideally, players would just step up and you know make up for coaching decisions. But if they're you know if they're not scoring goals, then it seems like you know your personnel has to change up somewhat too, right? Yeah, I think it's a person. Yeah, I think it's personnel. I think it's strategy. I think it's well, partly I think it's just it's Rosal Bell was out, and she's their best player, and she's the one who kind of distributes and and i think also the forwards the way the u.s has have they aren't able to adjust if things are not going particularly well they don't have they don't have a lot of tools in their arsenal they're kind of one-dimensional i think and when the when it works well it works really well but when it doesn't it's a real slug and i guess you could say that for a lot of it's a problem that most players unless you're like one of the real greats it's going to be a problem um i don't know i guess you could say well who does us have that's like a young creative goal scorer Uh, i don't i don't i don't i don't know the women's game well enough to determine that the men's team hasn't found a young creative goal scorer in 100 years so it's um you know unless right but they're back in the world cup yeah They've qualified for the next one, right? Yeah. So they'll Christian, be back. The women's team will be back too, but we know the will be back though. Mm-hmm. That's what we know, right? Yeah. I mean, and like, you know the like, pack four? Pack four, pack four, yeah. Uh we have Cal, Berkeley, uh, Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State are the only pack Pacific Athletic Conference teams left. Uh, Washington and Oregon went to the Big Ten following USC and UCLA last year. Well, at least they announced it last year they're going to go. But it seems like Washington Oregon went as like discount rated Big Ten teams. Did you see that? They are not going to get the same payout as other Big Ten teams. Oh, really? Yeah, they were offered like this kind of second class deal. Really? That still might have been about what they would have gotten from the Pac-10, but because the Pac-10 was going away because the Big 12 took Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. Um, Washington and Oregon decided, well, we'll we'll do the discounted Big Ten payout rather than the full, full whatever Pac-6 plus Fresno State, UNLV, San Diego State would make. And yeah, um, yeah I don't, I, uh, uh, I'm going to look up Oregon and, and, uh, uh, yeah, Oregon and Washington will receive sixty-two million dollars. No, wait. They they if they received um, the average Big Ten payout, it said is going to be seventy million dollars per school. But Oregon and Washington got about half of that. Oh, so really, they, they got the two for one discount uh they can share unfortunately wow. yeah so which two so it's cal and stanford are still in the pack four mm-hmm. and, and who are the other two washington state oregon state so okay oh the two states okay the two states and this was kind of what they thought maybe would happen when the big 12 split up maybe ku would go someplace but k-state would be stuck it was like Oklahoma went to the SEC, Oklahoma State got stuck, you know, so the states yeah. to go a little behind the U. Um, 
but yeah, it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard you know, possibly the big 12 now is 16 teams. Do they possibly try to poach any of those remaining pack teams? Do those teams just go to the mountain West or something like that and take a step down? Um, I've I heard, they, I think you said mentioned to me at least anyway, before we aired that, uh, Couple of them may be looking at the ACC. Is that right? The ACC allows these Pacific Coast teams. They think Berkeley and Stanford might be looking at the ACC, um, which has some strong academic um, institutions. Yeah. But the ACC is also in some chaos, in some potential chaos because they're be- one of their best, like you know, biggest draws in terms of national audience. Florida State is looking to leave the ACC and maybe join the SEC or some other conference. I've heard even the Big Ten. Uh, so it's because their uh, their beef is basically that they don't like equal revenue sharing. Is that wasn't that what? A, did you hear about that? Is that uh, yeah. is that your understanding of it too? Yeah, I think it's because Florida State and Clemson, Clemson is part of this, but like they're the only two really good football teams, and in the ACC, the ACC is primarily a basketball conference. Yeah, and football is the real money maker. And none of those other teams are consistent enough in football. If you have Notre Dame as kind of a half ACC yeah. school, and it seems strange that they are, I don't know. It seems strange that Notre Dame's not in the Big Ten. Why don't they just? just they're sort of unaffiliated, but they're not for football. Yeah, and um, it's yeah. I think uh, Florida State and Clemson. Is, I think Florida State has been the most vocal. But Clemson's going to go along with it. So I think um, so I think the payouts right now are um, I'm looking at for a Forbes magazine report. So the payout for the Pac-12 is going to be 20 million dollars per school with their TV deal. Hmm. 40 million was AC, was the ACC or is the ACC about right now? 50 million is the big 12. so they've gone up so there's and the SEC is about fifty-five million, so they're really on par with one another. Yeah. And eighty now, and Forbes tells eighty million to one hundred million for the Big Ten average for the TV deal, wow. which seems kind of insane uh, that it's so much higher. But I guess it just depends on when you sign your your deal. But it's the, I guess this is live sports is the only thing that people watch anymore on cable or network television. At, you know. Or at least needs to be watched at the same time as everybody else. Yeah. So I guess I don't. I I I've heard rumors of AC of ACC either trying trying to reach out to Stanford and Berkeley, which seems like kind of really like if you were like all of your like you know like for football maybe it's not that big of a deal because you only travel five times a year. I, but if you're a basketball team and your conference is in the Eastern time zone and you supposedly have student athletes playing like right so much class just going to well we gotta go to, we gotta go to South Carolina we gotta go to um you know Boston to play and it's it's just insane like I think there has to be some yeah. geo like you know the the big 
you know, like you could maybe have divisions that are kind of separate, which it seems to me maybe kind of what the Big Ten is trying to do. Like now, West coast, are, east coast, and then you yeah, at least now they're on your coast at least for like local travel ish. Have a pod of some sort, like yeah. Surf. I I was thinking like, you know, maybe since the Big Ten is eighteen teams now, maybe they could do three six groups, but it's hard to do that with the Pacific way that far. Yeah, um, Big Twelve would be a little easier uh, to divide because their Western schools don't go quite as far west. Yeah, but their eastern schools go. Pretty yeah, well, well would you have what uh, the Utah schools, the Arizona schools, and what Col- the Texas Col- schools, Col- Colorado? So you have five. Yeah, so you have those five, and then you could say, well, maybe we'll just put um, KUK State, Iowa State with those five. Yeah, and have kind of a diagonal sort of a thing, and then so like have yeah. the Texas schools. Florida, West Virginia, Cincinnati, uh, yeah, Central Florida, West Virginia, Cincinnati, and the Texas schools all together or something like that. Or I think that might be the way to do it. Um, and Oklahoma State would be with the Texas yeah. schools. That would be eight and eight. Yeah. Since that would be five. So, yeah. I think that's the best. I, that's the way I would do it. Um, I don't know if that's the way they will do it or not. Or maybe they'll, maybe we'll do teams. three sixes then or something. Yeah. Like or you could add more teams. Like we had said, the SEC is three sixes, is 18. And I think having two, three sixes rather than two nines, you can't really play everybody in football. Well, football, you could play eight. 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 I guess you could play eight. But then you wouldn't be able to play anybody in the other division ever. Yeah. It, it would be like, you. what you want to have some, I think. Yeah. Like, what, otherwise it would be no, you wouldn't have a conf. It would be two separate conferences that kind of, meet after a while yeah uh, but i mean that that is a strategy you could do that yeah i think you want though i think teams want to have some variety in who they play their opponents um i think well unless you can play everybody you want to be able to everybody in the same season you want to be able to play everybody at least sometimes yeah i think so the if, you SEC, did, if you did three sixes you'd play your five division teams every year mm-hmm. and then what you could play maybe three of teams. each or two of each of the other divisions two of each or one of each and two depending how many conference like you had nine conference games you could play yeah two in each of the other conference of the other pods you and then do 11 conference games though so you'd have four three and three you play half of each of the divisions plus five no, I was thinking you just play two games in each of yeah. the other. So there'd be six in each conference. So you'd play each of those teams every three years. Yeah. Um, then you have nine, you have nine conference games, which is what most conferences have. The SEC doesn't. I think it only has eight usually. Because well, how many games do they normally play in a season? Is it 12, 11? 12 now. Yeah. 12. 12. So they have three non-conference, three non-conference. Um, so I mean, but if you went to 11 games and then you only play one non-conference game, so you're, whatever your rival mm-hmm. is. Yeah, outside of your conference, that'd still be twelve, mm-hmm. but you'd still get to play, you know, more conference games. But I don't know, maybe that's yeah, and, competitive and, games because they had to want to schedule some cupcake in there initially, right? Alabama always schedules some really bad teams, and so do some of the other SEC schools. Yeah, yeah often it seems like they play worse teams because 
they often will play those teams late in the season. Like there's like a November game, Alabama against Samford or somebody like what all of the the other like teams play their cupcakes in September. Right. Uh, As maybe the first game or second game of the season at worst. Yeah. That's when Oklahoma will, you know, uh, will play Northern Iowa or whatever. And, and, But yeah, but now it's the SEC. SEC has played a lot of their bad teams late. Um, but I it would all the three sixes would also necessitate a semifinals and a final for the conference championship because yeah. if you have three, you'd have three champions, and so you'd have to play at least. Um, you'd have to play right. just play one game to decide, or you couldn't just say, "Well, one of the divisions isn't going to have a." Right, so you'd have to have yeah. a wild card then from somebody else. Yeah. I think that's a good. I think that's pretty good actually, because you'd have well, yeah. let's say if if you got stuck in the worst one, you could be the second best team in the, you know, what you know the SEC West for a while was like at LSU and Alabama, who were the two best teams in the country for a while. And Arkansas was pretty good too for a while. Like you, it, it was tough to win the SEC West. And yeah. if you the SEC West, you could win the whole thing as when because georgia was down florida was down tennessee was down um but now and auburn was really good in the west so like, like they had a lot of um good teams in in some ways yeah i i think having the i think having that 18 three sixes and then a wild card and have but that would act that would add more games but i think everybody would want more games so i think that would be yeah I mean, unless you wanted to go to an extra regular season game too, which I don't know that they probably would. They probably would push for that too if you went to a thirteenth regular season game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's We're not be able to figure this out. I don't think it becomes so strange in some ways. Too many options. Just too a many lot groups. of the schools that probably shouldn't be kept out of a potential power conference are only kept out because they happen to. They happen. To not be like you know, not today, no school would want Mississippi and Mississippi State probably in their conference, but they're already in the SEC or Kentucky as a or Vanderbilt or something like those those schools that are not competitive, usually or like Purdue in the Big Ten, like which is never you know Indiana, you know like these teams that are never or never that good, uh, but they happen to be kind of grandfathered in to yeah. a stable conference uh and they're there uh because of that and so like yeah yeah like I, I was, Rutgers is a bit of a surprise right for them to yeah to, well that was when they did media rights play Rutgers and they had a couple of decent college teams football teams for a while but I don't think their basketball team has ever been very strong and in the northeast um state universities are not really looked at that much in terms of like you know they don't follow college sports as much yeah um, well college football especially it's pro it's it's pro sports or it's like a lot of small colleges that play basketball like in the big you know we're traditionally smaller like more like you know georgetown or seton hall like it's like small catholic colleges or it's like ivy league schools that are prestigious but haven't had good football teams since the 40s and right and that's what you know there's no there's no public institution north or east of rutgers that's in a in a um major conference power conference right yeah 
um, and Rutgers is was a surprise, but yeah, there's no UMass or UConn or you know those schools are not in it. So like it, it's a but college football it's it's a it's a it's its own kind of thing, and maybe it's just devouring itself, and who knows what's going to happen with it. Well, yeah, now it's going to be a lot of uh, super conferences, right? So the big twelve will be. 16? 16 teams at least the big 10 will be 18, 18. teams at least the SEC, sec 18 also 18 what's what's the acc now? acc is i think 14 or 15 depending on what you call notre dame okay um, 14 plus yeah and it seems the most ripe for disintegration if the sec wants to say well we'll take clemson and florida state or we'll take the big 10 says we want uh Clemson or Florida State, or maybe Virginia, North Carolina, you know, the, some of the flagship um, yeah. institutions. Or if the Big 12 says maybe we can bring in Duke because now we have Kansas, Arizona, you know, these blue blood basketball teams in the same conference. Yeah. Uh, UConn, maybe we'll get. And then, you know, add, you know, so it's, it's hard, you know, if you want to go basketball, I think there had been some rumors as well that maybe. Gonzaga would be a Big Twelve edition as a basketball only mm-hmm. school, and now Houston is a, you know Houston's a, a real power in basketball for sure, and Cincinnati historically has been good in basketball. I don't I don't it's I don't know what's going to happen. I, I I thought it seemed like the Big Twelve was kind of dead in the water ten years ago, and it looked that way years ago. When Even Oklahoma, a few years ago, yeah. Again, Oklahoma, and Texas were leaving. Uh, yeah. the, the Pac-12 could have taken some of the Texas teams, and they didn't for some reason, yeah. and that's what cost them their... I guess the Pac-12 had some issues with their TV deal that they were trying to get done, and they never finalized it, is what it sounded like, that they were still fighting with the whatever TV, TV deal they were working on. They were working on Apple may have been sort of led. The Big 12 actually was scheduled to renew its TV deal after the Pac-12, but they jumped ahead in the pecking mm. order, and that's basically what saved the Big 12 and sunk the Pac-12 because there was there were no like slots available anymore, like on ESPN or Fox for mm. Pac-12 games because well, all the games have been taken by the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the SEC or the ACC, and you know there's nothing left. Maybe a few late night spots, but that's about it. So really, that's that's what saved the Big 12 then. How was that? Yeah, it was the it was like I kind of. A, um, a shrewd move by the conference to renegotiate its TV deal more quickly than it needed to. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of shrewd moves, do uh, the Chiefs might need to make one or two, given the fact that their defensive line, especially, is looking a little bit shaky. And not because of injury. And not because of injury, but because we have a suspension of Charles Amenahue who had a domestic incident. We we might not even call it violence. Maybe there was, some, but it was a it was a dispute with his, I guess, partner. And she, uh, you know, there were charges filed and dropped. And but he is missing six games now. The first six games of the season, he was kind of the big free agent acquisition to play along the defensive line. I think he was somebody who they thought they could play either end or tackle. Mm-hmm. 
and probably the and but but I think apparently the Chiefs knew that this might happen when they signed him. That was maybe why they signed him at a, such a a fairly fairly low salary compared to maybe what his potential was. But it meant he was going to miss the first six, and Chris Jones will miss. I don't know. He's missed all training camps so far. Yeah. Do you think that Jones? gets re-signed or is this another Tyreek Hill situation where the Chiefs are going to have to retool and hope for the best uh from a position group yeah. that's yeah the you know the Aminahue uh suspension you would think if the Chiefs had the money to make the deal it seems like they would be moving more quickly to get Chris Jones locked up right is what you would assume yeah, but if they haven't gotten the deal locked up, then they are either not very close on settling, uh, on a particular number at least anyway, or something else is you know not there yet. So uh, it's not. I don't think it looks very good for Chris Jones signing. Yeah, he's had some kind of cryptic tweets and say like. Yeah. Know, hey, nice knowing you or i love you guys or something like it's right. like on his way out um it it seems a little bit like the tyreek hill situation where it seemed like well there's this kind of acrimonious contract negotiation but it seems like it's got to get done and then suddenly boom hill is traded or like the day before it's like oh the chiefs are thinking about trading hill hill is traded um and if we find out that the world there were two possibilities and the chiefs took the dolphins rather than the jets it seems like maybe things are headed that way for Jones as well, because it was like, oh, the Chiefs are never going to trade Chris Jones. He's always going to be here. But now it seems like well, there are rumors now that Chris Jones might be traded. Um, but it doesn't mean that's going to happen. But like, yeah, possibilities to the Bears or the Lions or the Texans or someplace like that. Um, but Jones is the, well, he was, I don't know if you know, did you follow the the NFL top 100 players? Was hmm. I, I saw had, somebody posted something about it. Yeah, the Chiefs only had three top 100 players. Yeah, all three of their top 100 players were in the top 10 at the NFL. Yeah. Jones was number 10. Okay. Travis Kelsey was number five, and Patrick Mahomes was number one. So the Chiefs were, you know, you might think Humphrey or, you know, Tooney maybe on the offense, maybe Bolton or somebody maybe could sneak in there, but yeah, um, maybe uh, you know, well, Jerry Sneed I think was a, was a really good player. But um, yeah, it's I don't I don't know what they would do without Jones. There's no there's no gonna be yeah there won't there can't possibly be a direct replacement for him right so like they're not gonna find another Chris Jones out there he's a pretty unique player uh, so yeah I'm not sure yeah but yeah from the team perspective I don't know if they really want to lock him up to a long term deal. Because they seem to be very ready to move on from players when they're ready for bigger contracts. Uh, you know, yeah. with as much as they have committed to Patrick Mahomes, and they're going to, you know, pay Patrick Mahomes for sure. They're not going to let him go. Uh, you know, it's just there just isn't a lot of room for uh, other big contracts uh, for like long term deals, at least anyway. Uh, I don't know how they sign Chris Jones to a big bigger deal. But I don't know. I mean, it seems like they he have wants. To, I think you, 30, you can't just let him go. So yeah, yeah. I think he wants thirty million. But maybe Jones is not super old. He's not. Um, 
Uh, he's not yet 30. So he's 29. He just turned 29 in July. So, you know, you think maybe an additional three years. You mm-hmm. could, if you don't go longer than three years, that's not too bad. Maybe you could do three years, 90 million. He's making 20 million now. Maybe you could bump it up closer to 30. Well, and, this year, the 2023 season is 20. I think that's already yeah. set, right? So unless but they I restructure think, in the deal. I think they would want to restructure. Like, the idea would be, well, restructure and then give more money the next couple. of Like, maybe make it a signing bonus this year and make it salary next year. I don't know. You know, somehow push the... This year's yeah. salary into next year's window. Yeah, yeah when the, you know, the cap's going to be higher next year, probably, just because that's how it tends to go. And... But the defense seemed to get better in 2022 by getting younger and faster. But that may have also, you know, been aided by having Chris Jones in the middle because he does so much work in the middle, right? Yeah. This was one of Jones's best seasons. He had 15 and a half sacks, which tied his career high. Um, 44 tackles, which is also his career high this year. So he also had his first... um, Playoff sacks, uh, two playoff sacks this year, which he had never had sacks in the playoffs before this mm. year. Um, I don't know if you remember that stat. That was a just kind of random stat that he had never had any playoff sacks. Um, I know uh, Frank Clark didn't have a lot of regular season sacks, but he usually had playoff sacks. Playoff sacks yeah. <laughs> and Clark is no longer available as somebody they could bring in late, like right. using with the Broncos. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, you do. Uh, Carlos Dunlap is available still, maybe as a replacement for a many hue, but like there's not even any money for like an addict, like an average or below average salary because a lot of that money is tied up in Chris Jones right now. And, and there's only like there's less than a million dollars, I think, the Chiefs have in salary cap room. It's like you can't sign really anybody for that. That's only, yeah, it's more than the minimum is right now. So you need because you think if they traded Chris Jones. They would only have the cap hit of, I think, $7 million, is that what it was? Yeah, so maybe you have $20 million, $25 million to play with. Um, well, twenty was his, is his actual cap hit now, right? I think it's $30 It was it 27, was it 27? Um, 28 something like that. Right now, Chris Jones's spot track is very slow. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It's not a very, it's a kind of a wonky. I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> um, maybe because we're both searching for Chris Jones at the same time. Probably it's two people doing it. And okay, here's Chris I Jones. Just, I just had to go back. That's all. Because yeah, his cap hit is twenty eight million. Twenty eight three. Yeah, it was twenty nine million last year. So yeah. He, um, so it would go down to twenty one. No, okay. you take twenty one off, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so maybe they could sign someone else, and but the, you know whatever the, if they did a trade, whatever they would get in return, if it's a player, yeah, get added. Well, right? maybe you could say you could get a couple of defensive, maybe a team that has a lot of or some decent defensive linemen, but not some not star power that they want. Maybe you could get a couple of players there, like you know maybe the Bears have a couple of decent guys in the interior, but are not. As goes Jones, or I think I've seen the Bears, the Lions, and the Texans as being the three teams that seem 
like, mm. capable of acquiring that much cap space, but also maybe having something to return, draft, something to return, or dra- at least draft picks. But draft picks aren't going to help the Chiefs this year, right? Um, and you would need, you know, I guess draft there's picks are good, but this is a win now team, right? I guess there's Jadavian Clowney out there somewhere. You have Dunlap still, but and maybe Sue you could bring in like the um, Eagles. Um, yeah, for another, I know you don't like Sue, but like he's a he's a he was a great player, but he's you know I don't I don't I I don't think the Chiefs are going to get rid of Jones, but like I don't know what yeah maybe maybe he's just waiting and just go like, oh, I'm just going to come in the day before the season starts and yeah he is accumulating a lot of fines I guess right so like he's up over a million now in fines yeah he's like is it is it fifty uh, k per day missed at camp. It's not even per practice day. I guess it's every day. So he's it's three hundred and fifty thousand a week. So if it's been three weeks, it's over a million now. So yeah. Um do you yeah, do you have any other insights on the on the Chiefs? Like uh they have what seems it seems like both it seems like Pacheco and Tony the Chiefs are at least somewhat hopeful that they'll be ready by the beginning of the season. But I think on offense, you don't really worry about the personnel as much because you have Mahomes. Yeah, as long defense. as he's healthy, then. Yeah. Mahomes can't play defense, and it seems like most of the young guys that are really good on the Chiefs' defense are in the secondary and in the linebacking core, but you need somebody up front. And right. you have Carl Aftis maybe going to make a jump, but he's, on the, he's an end. You have... Yep. Um. Uh, the new uh first round uh 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 draft pick Felix uh Uzama uh on DK on a DK yeah on Uzama uh and uh he's a he's an end um mm-hmm. in the middle there's like Derek Nadi who is serviceable yeah. Turk Wharton who has been injured maybe coming back like but like it's not a there's not a Danny Shelton, the big, big, big guy who didn't really play a whole lot last year, but maybe could stop the run. But like, there's not, I don't know. There's the defensive line without Jones, like taking up like a double team every play, every single still play, being kind of a monster. Like he was the one of the best defense. He could have been defensive player of the year last year. He was Aaron Donald, like probably. Uh, you know, you might say, um, yeah. There's. Probably not getting any answers right away, I guess, right? We have the first preseason game this weekend. Against the New Orleans Saints. We haven't uh it's with Derek Carr probably as their starter. Uh former longtime opponent. Maybe maybe not in this in this game, but well, he we, might play the first series. Will we see first... starters? That was gonna be my question. Will hmm. we see starters in game one? Like we didn't we didn't see um either uh deshaun watson or aaron Rodgers in the in the uh hall of fame game that's kind of a game zero situation because they have an extra they have an extra preseason game they have they have another week they have three more i think every other nfl team has three games and i think that does that not count as their first they have an uh, they have an additional game um i just assumed that that took the place of their first game is it not The Jets still have three preseason games remaining. Oh, okay. They play the Panthers, 
So yeah. it's an exhibition of an exhibition. Yeah, it's 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 game zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll we you think we'll we'll see at least some starters. I think we'll see the starters through, uh, one, maybe two series or one quarter, whichever is longer, um, probably. And I think yeah. usually the second game they play the first half, and then the third season game they're off. They or maybe they'll play one series at the most, and then you just kind of let the fringe roster guys battle it out for who's going to make the team is kind of how they've been doing the three preseason games. I think when they had four preseason games, normally it was a little more unpredictable what they were going to do for each game because, yeah. um, but with only three, it seems like, well, we're going to have the starters come out and just get a taste of things, maybe a quarter and then maybe a half. And then. It just... looks as though, so the Chiefs play the Saints at, in New Orleans, uh, Sunday, noon. Uh huh. New Orleans is favored by three over Ooh, this the games. This is the only. Would you be betting on this preseason game, Mike? This is, no, this is the. It's it's a fool's errand to bet preseason football. But I guess if I did bet preseason football, like I don't, I would think the Saints would win. But I don't. I've, three points is a lot. I I don't think. Like, I think it's a coin flip. So if I had to bet, if I bet on the winner, I might pick New Orleans. But if I, if I got the three points and the Chiefs, I would take the Chiefs probably. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the it's always a low over under because usually those backups don't have a lot of uh, scoring potential. But maybe I don't know. I think I think Blaine Gabbert and Bouchelle might want to shine, and maybe there's a little bit of offense like I, I think Nagy probably wants to air it out a little bit being the first year yeah. offensive coordinator or at least back I think but I then, go with, with I think I go with the over yeah with uh, only 38 I mean if both teams score in the 20s you're well over the 38 right? yeah I think I'd go in, I think I'd go with the over on that yeah I, that might be the only one that I would be comfortable with it looks like most of the preseason game ones uh I don't see any at 40. Looks like all the over unders are thirty nine or less. Thirty nine and a half for Bucks Steelers. That's interesting that that game is higher than the others because I would say neither of those offenses are great because neither they're not. Of, but that's not the actual offenses of either. I know, but like even the at, at their best, those offenses aren't that great. But like I don't know. I think the Chiefs. Maybe they think the Chiefs Rams. will play their. Chargers is the lowest over under at 34 and a half. Hmm. Would you just take the over on all of them? Possibly. What if, I, yeah, what if what if you said like, I, like what if you said you just take the over on all of them? How do you think we'd come out? I think we'd win more than we lost. Yeah. But you know, this is also a thing where people like overs more than unders. So I think yeah. Traditionally, it's better to pick under if you don't know what's going on because you was because it's more fun to be over, and yeah. you know it's and you could say well it's like the old adage is it's always under until it's over. Uh, so you you have to it things have to break your way, and you have to actually you everybody starts out under and then it has to you know get over. Um, so I. I don't know what I would do. The semi-coordinated I, effort to get over those. So, like, I guess, why don't we look and see and see what's say, well, yeah. let's, 
we would say we each would take the let's say if we took a blanket over are there are all 32 teams playing so it'd be 16 games yeah how much would we win if we just took the over on all of them and didn't worry about um that'd be interesting just experiment to see yeah we could kind of do that for each preseason game uh and see if the do the do the overs or unders change like is game two higher because we think the offenses are going to the play starters more? you think would play more right but you think also the defensive starters are going to play more so you think that would balance things out right right um, yeah it's a, i don't know it's 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 I so, think the, so the range on over under is yeah only 34 and a half to 39 and a half that's the i think that also means that vegas has no idea what's going on and that nobody and also has... why would you bet on preseason game? <laughs> you have to well yeah if you're like there i guess it's fun to watch and do but that's really funny yeah. I, I i wonder if there's like some really smart gambler that says i make all of my money in the preseason because <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. We'll bet on them. And if you follow preseason trends, maybe there's an edge there that you can get that you wouldn't get for regular season because, well, there's more eyes on it uh, from everybody's perspective. So it's harder to find an edge in the regular season than there is. It's like, it's like I was, I was, I have heard like if you know a couple of teams really well in like, minor college football or college basketball like oh yeah you could know how they like a conference better than what they do in vegas because they have to follow follow everybody and if you follow the ohio valley conference or something like that and you're really smart on the ohio valley you could make money on it but the the problem is that if you bet a lot of money on those games vegas is going to take notice and see who is betting and probably change odds or not let you know or or something like that because they don't want to um lose money on those sorts of things you have to kind of play it cool i guess uh right but if vegas was making money on the other people and just losing on you i guess it wouldn't matter as much because they'd still make money but um but if you're you're betting, you know, if you're the only bet that's ten thousand dollars on the Ohio Valley Conference, and everybody, and like that's like fifty percent of the money bet, and you're winning a lot. Well, that's gonna be noticed. If yeah, yes, there would be some kind of investigation. Yeah, and but it's maybe, not- maybe more importantly than than this, though, looking forward to the regular season. Are we going to continue our betting competition uh, in the same way, or do you want to do you want to change it up a little bit, or what? What do you What are you thinking looking ahead? I think our betting competition was pretty good. I like having the three games a week because yeah. we could we could perhaps keep track on our own, like what we would do for every game, and are we better every game than we are like like if we just kind of had to bet each way. Rather than thinking these are our be- are our best bets worse or better than our average, yeah, like something to keep track of. So like mm-hmm. uh, like on the show we would still do the same thing we did last year, but then off show we would keep track of each individual game. Yeah, and then we'd compare ourselves to our overall. Yeah, like maybe we would have to do each individual game. We would pick spread over under for each individual game. Okay, and we'd see 
how we did over under and spread like we wouldn't have to think about it. well i'm gonna if i defer the coin i do over here over under over and yeah then which team but then for the um for the show we have having our three bets what you know that are a combination of over unders and 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 money line and not money line and a point spread um that would be interesting i think because we could kind of see whether first impression without thought is better than in-depth analysis or confidence hurts us more than just snap judgment you know something or is better or is it all just random it was all random yeah yeah so what you're talking about is a big spreadsheet yeah i think we can do that that's fine we can do that i'm sure our our legions of fans are also interested in in how this um, yeah everyone's going to be asking us for access to that spreadsheet how do we see this we were really close weren't we on the entirety of the regular season i think you beat me barely or i beat you barely and then i think i think i got you by just a a hair yeah a hair and then i think you came back i was start i started out pretty higher and then you yeah i think i i got close and then kind of took over at the end and 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 you won i think you also won in the playoffs over me uh so you you uh were the um the champion uh so i think i won the first two phases of the competition and i don't remember what happened next but if we go back and like see where we are because then we did a college basketball round yeah, I won the basketball one. Yeah, um, so maybe it's two to one right now. Yeah, so we'll have to see. We'll check the archives. Um, yes, we'll go back. <laughs> yes, but we can. That's a, that's a subject for next week. I think next week as well to preview. We want to talk about um, further, like, our, you know, kind of continue our NFL preview. Maybe talk about um, the quarterback situations in the various teams, and also talk about um, the general season preview. Um, and look at over-under. So that was another thing, over-under win totals, because Las Vegas um, every year releases um, wins and losses uh, uh, predicted uh, for teams. And there are 17 games uh, this year. And so, you know, is does, do we think that the predictions by Vegas are too high or too low? I think both of us have um, opinions, especially on a few of the teams. I don't think... We have really solid opinions on all of the teams, but before we started uh, the broadcast, we looked at some of these over-unders, and we were surprised about a few of them. I think both of us were very surprised that Atlanta was, I think, eight and a half. Uh, they yeah. had eight and a half wins, so that's you know eight, eight. They were an eight and nine or a nine and eight season, where I think both of us thought Atlanta was going to be terrible and much lower than that, but maybe. With a bad NFC South, they could be higher. Yeah, I don't. I, and and we also think we're surprised the Giants were predicted maybe only to be eight and a half or seven and a half wins, and the Jets were predicted to be nine and a half wins higher yeah. than the Giants, even though the Giants are in a weaker conference. Uh, but the Jets, you know, added Aaron Rodgers. But um, so do we want to do we want to do these things before the preseason really gets underway, or do we want to wait till like between the third preseason game and the regular season to do these final picks? We could do the final picks bef- after the third preseason. I guess we could see what the injuries are like. That's probably a better um, thing because I guess, you know, if somebody suffers a season-ending injury. But we could maybe do our general kind of preview of the so NFC. We, yeah, NFC quarterbacks next week? 
NFC quarterbacks next week, AFC quarterbacks the following week, and then the over-under predictions uh, before the season. And then, yeah, I think that sounds, uh, that would be good. Yeah, that sounds great. We've had a, uh, you know, if you were following us two years ago, three years ago now, we had had the really, really detailed quarterback uh, predictions. And some of those, I think, still stand um, because a lot of those quarterbacks are still in the league. Quarterback is one of the positions that turns over, at least at the starting positions, a little bit less than um, some of the other positions. The quarterback longevity is a little bit higher because you can, you know, you'll play. You aren't washed up at age 27 or 28 like you are as a running back or a special teams uh, player. And uh, so, but we'll, we'll, we'll preview the quarterback position of the National Football Conference next year. Um, the NFC... Next week. Next week, yeah, not next year. For the, for for this next coming year, coming but we'll year, do it right. next year. Next week, instead of uh, you know, I, I'm I'm time traveling or something in my head, and I'm I'm, I'm forgetting. But the NFC has, we think, worse quarterbacks on the whole than the AFC. So perhaps, do we think this or do we know this? I think we know, but I think also we think. I guess you can't know it for sure. But they've they've had t- quarterbacks that are less successful in the past. Maybe we could say, because uh, in some cases, well, you might say, is I don't know, is Kirk Cousins really as that bad? Is he maybe better than Tua Tagovailoa, or is he more? I don't know. Is, but still, I think he was probably like the seventh best AFC quarterback. Yeah. And he and Kirk Cousins is probably seen as like the second best NFC yeah. quarterback right now, especially with Rodgers gone. So it's like Jalen Hurts is seen as the number one quarterback, you think? I guess in the NFC. Then it's like Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins or Dirk Carr. <laughs> Daniel Joe is Brock Purdy in the top ten of the NFC quarterbacks? Top ten for sure, yeah. Maybe top... yeah, see that's see that's already yeah. It's bad. Yeah, the NFC is I guess we can just say definitively the NFC is worse, but I think that makes for a more interesting discussion. And the NFC as well. Well, they got I guess uh, the number one overall pick, um, Bryce Young, who is a you know pure pocket passer in the worst way. Uh, being a pastor that could fit in your pocket rather than would stay <laughs> pocket you know he's yes. a slightly smaller version of kyler murray who is a tiny version of i don't know patrick mahomes uh or i say tiny he's probably tiny lamar jackson i would say kyler murray probably tiny lamar um and yeah lamar like he's like on the down like he's had some bad years but i think he would be the best quarterback in the nfc for sure um Hertz had one good season but I would we we had talked about this I think I would have Lamar Jackson than Jalen Hurts back there but Hertz I don't know I think that's I think that's at least debatable uh between those two and right now Jackson is maybe a top is maybe a top five AFC quarterback would you put him in the top five he'd be five or six I guess right somewhere well maybe, I think maybe even cons- seven I don't know because I mean it's got to be yeah. Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen, or two, three. I don't maybe interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then, well, then you have Rodgers, you have Herbert, you have, Herbert, you have Trevor Lawrence, maybe. 
Yeah. Tua. Yeah. 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 No, I don't know. That's, that gets really tricky. Is like, is is even? Would you even say? Well, I mean, if you're talking about pure quarterback, Russell Russell Wilson, if he has a comeback, like, you know, he might be up there. Like, yeah. It's so. This is one of those things we'll talk. This is a kind of preview for next week. Who are the yeah you know, those quarterbacks? It was like, I, you know, I almost forgot about Wilson. Wilson was seen as an MVP caliber guy two years ago. And so was Lamar Jackson. And so was did we, did we mention the Chargers quarterback? Yeah, Herbert. I mentioned Herbert. Herbert as said, a, you did yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But like, yeah, he's kind of an afterthought. Um yeah. but then, yeah. then maybe maybe my last question for this show to you then is will you review your own analysis from our previous quarterbacks uh discussion uh for next week? Will will you use yourself as a reference? from our previous episodes of this show like how long how far back will i go no i mean will will you reference yourself as an analyst when saying like this quarterback is better than this quarter because michael Herman said he was great two years ago and would have been the starter and was the starter I, i i don't think i will reference myself that way but i will say i've said this for a long time and i will continue to say it uh and i think my long standing I, I think I do trust some of my long standing opinions. Like if I'll go back and think about it, well, I was like, you know, I knew that um Mac Jones sucked like a long time ago. Or Oh, I we knew, didn't mention Mac Jones in the top AFC yeah, quarterbacks. He, he might be a top five NFC quarterback, but he is <laughs> definitely a top sixteen AFC quarterback, I guess you could say. But although maybe you could say you know, Bailey Zappy. I still think Bailey Zappy is just as good. As Mac so Jones you, just didn't go to Alabama, and he doesn't have. So maybe he would fall outside the top sixteen. The draft pedigree, yeah, he gets it. Well, maybe yeah. You know, I don't know. Is is uh, Blaine Gabbert better than Mac Jones, or is one of the backup quarterback Marcus? No, Mariota went to the Eagles. I was thinking one of the backup high high ranking backup quarterbacks at, uh, like maybe Will Levis and Tannehill could both be better than Mac Jones. I think. Or whoever is backing up. I guess we'll have to look at the backups. We'll have to look at those yeah. uh, for next time. I don't really remember. Um, Tyler Huntley uh, made the Pro Bowl, and he is Lamar Jackson's backup. So I guess you could say, well, he might be better than Michael McCorkle Jones. So tune in next week to find out how or- low. Mac Jones falls on Mike. Zach side. Wilson, who was he was Zach Wilson, who was the backup to um, Aaron Rodgers, was drafted number three overall, I think, or or two over three overall, two overall. He was drafted higher than uh, Mac, and you know, I think of him as potentially higher upside than you're. You're going to have to at the end of uh, analysis for next week. You're going to have to. Not, that's two weeks from now because that's AFC. Yeah, NFC next week. Uh, yeah, you have to say where Mac Jones falls on the uh, the scale Top quarterback list. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 my yeah. I, Jordan Love, I I dislike that the Packers picked him, but as time goes on, I like Aaron Rodgers less, so I care less about angering Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and I also don't think Joe, I don't think Jordan Love has done anything really to raise my ire in any way, whereas. Mac Jones has kind of been a malcontent and just a crappy player. And his backup has been 
as good or better than him. Uh, and so I just, I, I don't care for him. And yeah, I have an irrational. I still remember from that from that previous analysis from a couple years ago when you made the the discovery that uh, Jordan Love was not the best player with the last name of Love from the conference that he was drafted from. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I Fresno the Fresno State Love. Was it Fresno <laughs> State? Utah Jordan Love is Utah State, I believe, and there was a guy from Fresno State, uh, and he had <laughs> a a better. <laughs> Uh, um, was it Fresno? Maybe it was not Fresno State. I don't know who it was. Um, it doesn't really matter. I just remember thinking it was funny that it's like this. Even even with that last name, was not the best player from that conference. That's funny. Yes, yes, yes. I was, uh, but apparently, Jordan Love. I don't know. I haven't heard a lot from Packers camp whether he's good or not. I mm. so it's probably saying that he's not if you haven't heard a lot of hype from it i don't i don't know but we'll see what happens i don't think you need to be a great quarterback though in the nfc because all you know the nfc's best quarterback at least over the last few years went to the afc and he's now the afc's fifth best quarterback maybe <laughs> depending on Four how five. yeah somewhere in there yeah yeah aaron Rodgers is is uh you know he's getting older he's getting He's in a new system in a new city that's going to be a lot more negative in terms of its commentary about him. I and mean, he's a prickly, thin-skinned individual as it is. A sort of know-it-all. And but he's only going to make the league minimum this year. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to work. Uh, and he's in a and he's in a division where I think probably on paper. Maybe the Jets are the third best team. I don't know if maybe you could say they're clearly better than the Patriots, but I don't think you could say they're clearly better than the Dolphins, even with Jalen Ramsey's injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that's a lot. We're talking about a lot about next week, and we'll we'll get into next week and two weeks from now when those times come. But we should we should probably leave off and uh, end today's discussion right now <laughs> just like that or are, are, are you are you uh, do you concur dr scaff oh yes i believe we should i thought that was actually the end <laughs> no. no we can't end without our signature uh, that's, what I was, that's what i was that's what i was thinking yeah but maybe so i was ending our discussion one. of the week this is simply a boilerplate formality that we add at the end of every episode it has nothing we we for all uh, our listeners know we could just be adding it uh, a, you know, adding it to the end uh, from some sort of pre-recorded, uh, you know, uh, set of set of pre-recordings, but there we will do, be no editing. Like that's we do record these every week. We do very little editing here because we do not want to hide our flaws or our shortcomings because we want to be as transparent and forthright and forthcoming as possible here at the. Uh, Warning Trek Power Hour. And on that note, as always, I remain Dr. Michael Lerman. He remains Dr. Andrew Scaff. We remain the Warning Trek Power Hour. Please like and subscribe to our podcasts or our YouTube channel. We will be eternally grateful for your continued patronage. 
And until we visit one another again next week, we will bid you a good day.